What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Complete Center's Guide. I am your host, Tyler Fowler, and tonight we are talking postmodernism. What is it? What is the biblical response to it? And how in the world do we evangelize in a postmodern world where objective truth is denied? I've got David Pullman, Joshua Davidson, and Dane Von Ace tonight to discuss this topic with me. And to get the ball rolling, I want to introduce my co-host, Mr. Noah J. Chalaya. How you doing, brother man? Excellent, Tyler. I am, as Dave Ramsey would say, better than I deserve. Always, always, always better than we deserve, man. Dude, I'm, I'm super excited tonight. So just real quick before we introduce Dane, um, if you guys don't know, Dane was on the show uh, with us a few weeks ago, actually. And Dane and I were sitting across the table from each other. We were uh, talking and discussing about views that we actually disagree on as Christians, as brothers in Christ. But tonight, tonight we unite. Dane, David, um, we're uniting to, don't get me wrong, secondary things are important, but primary things are still primary. And whenever you deny objective truth, let me, let me just, can I start by just reading a verse? Or Psalm 51, 6 says, behold, you, God, uh, the psalmist is speaking to, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Truth, wisdom, knowledge, all of these things, their source is God. And whenever we deny truth, I think we're denying God at that point. Dane, what do you think about that? Man, I think you're spot on, and I'd like to say, kind of echo what you were just saying, that it is nice to be standing side by side and defending our faith together. Uh, Those secondary debates are fun, but it's it's wonderful to stand on the same side of the uh, line with you here tonight. You know, I totally agree with you. When you start denying objective truth, you do start denying the person who is the one true and living God. We call him the one true and living God. Uh, God cannot lie. His word is truth. Christ tells us to sanctify ourselves in his word, which is truth. Jesus even calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we start talking about truth, uh, it is interconnected with, with God. And so to deny truth is to deny Christianity and is to deny uh, the living Lord and Savior. So um, this is very important. Uh, postmodernism is something that we are all being confronted with on one level or another, whether we realize it or not, because it is just in the cultural atmosphere. It's what we're swimming in right now. And so this discussion is hopefully going to be really helpful uh, for Christians to think about how to combat against postmodernism. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's exactly what we're intending to do tonight. So for those who don't know what postmodernism is, um, hard to say kind of any, but anyway, but for those who don't know what postmodernism is, um, neither do postmodernists. <laughs> it seems that this term is ambiguous, right? But before we get into definitions, um, and, and things like that, I just kind of wanted to make that point going into this. The research that I was doing, and Dane, you can comment on this if you want to, <clears throat> but the research that I was doing, postmodernism does not have a definite or, or a definition. Like an objective definition, it, it kind of, or, or it's made to be ambiguous because 
That's what this is all about. This is all about subjectivity. This is all about how I feel. This is all about, not about you, but about me, right? And so whenever we, first of all, what do you think about postmodernism not having a definition? And second of all, isn't that almost self-refuting? Like, I don't want to give foreshadow a little bit, but but isn't this almost self-refuting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can't nail down a definition as precisely as most of us would want to because uh, postmodernism in, in a lot of ways rejects definitions and it does emphasize personal experience and, um, you know, an epistemology uh, that, that is rooted in kind of one person's perspective versus another. And so to nail down a definition would be in a way almost self-defeating to the system. But I have a joke uh, about it being self-defeating when somebody says there is no truth I just ask him, well, is that true? Mm. Because if that statement is true, then there is at least one truth, and that undercuts the statement itself. Uh, so it, it, it can't win. The it, statement, there is no truth, can't succeed uh, philosophically, theologically, logically. So um, it is a system that has no legs. It's a system that can't get out of bed in the morning. And yet, even though we realize that, a lot of people buy into it, and a lot of people drink from that Kool-Aid. So... Um, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a hazy cloud to try to pin down. Absolutely. And, and you brought up John fourteen six a minute ago. I just want to read it again uh, for our listeners. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. And yet what postmodernism is actively doing, ladies and gentlemen, is deconstructing the truth. And, and that's their, that's their objective is to deconstruct uh, truth, and, and, and that's why I say that this this ideology in and of itself is an attack on Christianity. Whenever you try to attack the truth, you are attacking Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the truth. And so whenever you're attacking truth, you're attacking Christ. Whenever you're attacking Christ, you're attacking God. And this is not the side of the debate that anyone wants to be on, right? That's why we're uniting over here on this side uh, with Jesus. But but he, here's the thing. Here's the thing, and I and I want to. I think Joshua Davidson said he is in the waiting room, uh, waiting to be added. But but I just want to say this for for any and, and Dane, you nailed it, brother. You nailed it. Ask yourself if you hold to postmodernism. Ask yourself: Is this view true? Because whenever, if you say yes, and, and, and if you say no, I must ask, why are you holding to something that isn't true? But if you deny truth in and of itself, you still can't say postmodernism is what's true. Th mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's, um, it's correct. The, the framework is self-defeating because it's irrational. And, um, you know, I know that David is going to do more of the definition stuff, but... sure. Postmodernism is a response to modernism, right? It is after modernism. It is the next sort of wave of thinking after modern thinking. Well, we know what defines modernism was rationality, uh, the scientific method, logic, and an emphasis on yearning to discover objective truth. And so postmodernism uh, is trying to deconstruct all of that. So it is inherently irrational, illogical, um, and whether they're, uh, the proponents of it would frame it that way, if you really wrestle them, you know, to the mat, they would have to agree that, um, 
you know, either either they could still be wrong, or or they're positing that there is no truth is true, which is self defeating. So when you really wrestle this down, uh, they they are rendered to absurdity. Um, and hopefully, I said that in a clear enough way. But uh, basically, they are self refuting in the very framework that they put forward. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you brought him up, man. I want to go ahead and introduce him, David Palmer. Do we have David uh, online with us? I am here. David, what is going on, brother man? How you doing? I'm doing well. I had a little trouble getting in, but I made it in time. So glad to be here with you all. Hey, man, glad that you're here, brother. And ju- just so we know, is Josh here yet? Or Joshua Davison, you here with us, brother? All right, so we're still waiting for Josh to come in. But David, man, so for those who don't know, for those who don't know you, you've been on the show a couple times now. Uh, just as who are you? What are you about? And, and let me just ask this. What is postmodernism? Can we, can we define or can you define postmodernism? Like we, uh, Dana and I was talking about a while ago, whenever postmodernism in and of itself isn't really defined. How, how does that work? Uh, yeah. You want me to hit the first question first about who I am or is that, is that boring? Yeah. No, no, of course not, brother. Go ahead. All right. Yes. Yeah, so as you said, I'm David Ballman. I am a seminary student. I am a, I think I define what it means to be a nerd. Um, I'm a member of the Society of Evangelical Arminians, and I run the YouTube Apologetics Ministry, Faith Because of Reason. Uh, yeah. So the topic of postmodernism. Goodness. Let's see. I got back into this debate. This was like when I got into Christian apologetics, this was probably like the third topic that uh, grabbed me. And so I've been uh, kind of into this topic for a while. Uh, and you're right, it is difficult to define. And one of the reasons for that is that it doesn't actually refer to a single thing. So you've mm. got a whole bunch of different, um, if you want to say types of postmodernism. So you've got like uh, postmodernism in art, you've got postmodernism in history, you've got postmodernism in science, you've got postmodernism in philosophy. And as Christians, we don't need to oppose all of these types of postmodernism like as strongly. So like say like postmodernism in art, right? Like there's abstract art. I don't particularly like it, but um, like as a Christian, I'm not going to like, throw someone out of the kingdom for <laughs> liking, for liking abstract, abstract art. Right, right. Right. If you like Picasso, I mean, you know what? I don't, but feel free to put it up in your house. <laughs> uh, so there there are some types of postmodernism, or maybe we would even want to say manifestations of it, that like we don't have to oppose as mm-hmm. strongly. Uh, and so like I do want to leave that open there. But on the sort that we're really going to be um, – given the pushback against is the one that kind of comes in diametrical opposition to Christianity because at least historical Christianity, we have held that Christianity is true and can be known as such, right? Uh, we see this right in, in the gospel of John. There's a big emphasis on it, that these things are written so that we can know, you know, that, uh, that uh, Jesus Christ is God, that he's come in the flesh and that we can be saved uh, by believing in his name. And so postmodernism in its philosophical sense i think is really the one that we're going to want to go after but even there it's uh there's not really one stripe of it so you've got kind of two and and they don't always make all these distinctions by the way themselves um from what i've read of them they're very hard to understand but (laughs) i've been able to pick out at least kind of two types so you've got what i would want to call metaphysical postmodernism and epistemological 
postmodernism. And metaphysical postmodernism is, uh, we could also call that like maybe hard postmodernism. And they're going to take the approach that like there, there really just is no such thing as truth. Uh, no one's beliefs are true. No one has, you know, valid beliefs. There's just, uh, you know, it's all, it's all just whatever. Uh, and that kind does kind of fall prey to a pretty devastating <laughs> objection, right? Is you sure. just ask, is, is that true? And, um, seems like they're going to say yes or no. And, uh, neither one of those looks really good for them. Uh, mm. unfortunately, I think a lot of apologists kind of stop with that sort of postmodernism. And mm. I think the more interesting one, if you, if you like read the literature, like the, uh, maybe the professionals who put this view forward, they actually hold to epistemological postmodernism. And that one's a little harder to deal with, in my opinion. Because uh, if you wanted to ask that person, you know, is there such a thing as truth, right? And if we wanted to find truth as that which corresponds to reality, well, they might be like, well, yeah, there, there's reality out there. Uh, maybe there are even some beliefs that match it. But we don't really have a way of getting at it, right? Like maybe somebody's okay. beliefs are true. But like we, we just can't tell. Uh, and so, as Dane pointed out, it's a response to modernism, which had this, like, very objective focus that, like, through science, through logic, through reasoning, we can actually get an accurate picture of reality. And it's through a perceived failure of these methods to get at reality, they say, no, they don't work. We just don't have a way to get there. So, you know, instead, let's just say everybody's views are, as far as we can tell, equally valid. And so, that one is not necessarily self-refuting because uh, it's based uh, supposedly on a recognition that there just isn't a way to get beyond our own kind of social, historical, whatever sort of context. And that one's a little bit harder to refute. It can be done, but it's not just as easy as asking, oh, well, is that true? So those right. are kind of the two types there, I would say. There's a metaphysical or a hard uh, postmodernism, and then there's epistemological or soft postmodernism. So let me, would it be fair to say for the soft postmodernist, we can't know things for certain? Is that kind of what you're getting at there, David? Not even that, like, because most okay. people are going to be okay with, like, saying that we don't know things for certain. Right? Like, do I know for certain that uh, my car is where I left it? Well, no, right? It could have got towed or something. Right. Um, but the postmodernist wants to say that, like, you don't even have a way of getting a generally accurate picture of reality, right? Like you don't even have probability. You don't even have like probably true beliefs. There's just no way to gauge probability in any kind of sense. So it, it's more than just a denial of certainty. It's sure. basically like a pretty thoroughgoing sort of skepticism. Okay, fair enough. So that's that's and that's exactly the words. I don't know if you guys. I'm, I'm sure you all have heard of Dr. Jordan Peterson. I know Joshua Davidson. He's the one that told me about him. Uh, but this is his definition um, of postmodernism. He says, hypothetically, postmodernism is an attitude of skepticism, irony toward rejection of grand narratives, ideologies, and universalism. It criticizes objective notions of reason, human nature, social progress, absolute truth, and objective reality, as we've been discussing uh, already. He goes on, he says, it's predicated on the idea that the reason someone categorizes is to marginalize to obtain power. Power is pretty much all there is. Uh, Peterson goes on to criticize it. He says, one element of PM or postmodernism states that human nature is merely a social construct. Uh, Peterson criticizes this notion by explaining that the reason human nature is merely a social construct to the postmodernist is so that they construct it however they like. 
David, how do, is that pretty much spot on um, to what postmodernism is? Or would you still see that separation um, between the two hard and soft uh, postmodernism? I would say that that is uh, that, that's a pretty good overall characterization. Um, and so that, that's probably a good like place to start. And then just depending on the postmodernist you're talking to or dealing with, you'll kind of want to see how they parse out some of these things. Uh, because, you know, uh, even if they want to be postmodernists, mm-hmm. we're not. So we're going to realize that everybody is an individual. And so ultimately, they're going to hold to their own version, formulation of the position that they hold. And they're going to respond to objections in different ways. And so ultimately, there's no like one way to categorize everyone. But I think that uh, Peterson's definition there, that's probably that's a helpful starting point to just get uh, a broad idea of the overall uh, idea of postmodernism. Right, absolutely. And we're later on here in just a little bit, we're going to transition to um, how, how does postmodernism look like in the church, right? Because that's really what we're focused on. And not only that, but evangelizing, you know, in a postmodern world. I mean, we're seeing this, this kind of thought, this kind of ideology, especially in our educational systems, right? And it's trickling down. And, and it's kind of, well, it's really scary, to be honest. But at the same time, we still have truth. We know that God is truth, right? And so with that being said, um, Dane, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on the conversation so far? Is there anything you want to add or kind of tweak? Or, or what, do you, what do you think about this discussion, how, how, how it's been going so far? Well, I thought that uh, the Peterson quote was helpful and illuminating uh, a, a good bit of what postmodernism is. And the part that I kind of wanted to poke at a little bit here with y'all is that part about how uh, all they see is um, power and power dynamics. Mm -hmm. This is something that is is really important, I think, that we we might lose sight of because as Christians, we also, we categorize people uh, either in Adam or in Christ, right? So Mm -hmm. you could be a wealthy man or a poor man. In Adam, you could be a wealthy man or a poor man in Christ. You could be a woman in Adam. You could be a woman in Christ. You could be uh, 99 years old in Adam or a baby in Adam. You could be 99 years old uh, and, and a young child um, in Christ. So we we have that categorization. The postmodernist is going to think in terms, and and this is painting with a bit of a broad brush, but the postmodernist will most likely be thinking in terms of. Uh, oppressor or oppressed, um, uh, has power or doesn't have power. And so um, at the root of a lot of these deconstructing uh, critiques that the postmodernist wants to, to bring forth is, is to restructure society um, as, as perhaps fits, you know, their group or their, their uh, tribe or, or whatever it might be. And so there is this, uh, strange anthropology in postmodernism that really separates people into either those who have power or those who don't have power. And they're going to want to deconstruct basically any system that, that grants the wrong people from their perspective, uh, power. And one thing that this, this will affect Christians is many postmodernists see, you know, Christians coming from, uh, a, a, a European sort of heritage or something like that. Um, as a powerful class. And so the church itself is something that a lot of postmodernists want to deconstruct uh, because they see that as people with power um, and they want to deconstruct that. So 
painting with a bit of a broad brush. There could be a postmodernist out there who loves, um, you know, the some of the traditions and histories of the church. But many postmodernists, um, and this will be something we talk more about maybe in the evangelism section, but many postmodernists actually look at the church as something that needs to be deconstructed as a, an institution that's had historical power. And, um, of course, we know it has eternal power because Christ is forever king. Uh, but I thought that was something interesting in the Peterson quote that uh, might be a rabbit trail we could chase a little bit. Absolutely. David, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I would agree with uh, essentially what Dane said there. Uh, we kind of just got to, of course, be careful. And, and I'm not saying, again, that I, I, Dane was careful to say that, you know, that, there, that there's a bit of a broad brush there. But in a sense, I mean, you just have to you have to be broad in these kinds of discussions is that it's it is difficult to you know, know what to do in any given situation when you're dealing with the postmodernist, uh, which, again, is just why it's really important, I think, to have kind of people skills and kind of yes. be interested in learning. That's, that's always an important thing is to just like when you're, um, you know, don't always go for debate first. Always look to learn first because uh, you, you'll get valuable information that way. So you'll learn, like, what's motivating this person? Uh, why is it that they are thinking this way? And so when we're kind of employing tactics like that, like especially just asking questions, asking questions is a great way to begin these kinds of discussions because uh, that way, you know, you're not going to come off as, um, you know, in any way offensive. Either you won't want to, you won't, sorry, run a risk of misrepresenting them. And then you'll also be able to learn how you can um, respond to that. And I think that that is uh, a helpful way to go about these discussions. But yeah, I mean, there is unfortunately just kind of, especially like on the parts of a lot of the leaders in, I, I hate using the term Christian postmodernism, <laughs> but maybe I'll just say uh, postmodernists who, you know, want to say that they are Christians, uh, although certainly they, w- they couldn't be considered that in any historic sense of the word but uh, you know what i mean that yeah. yeah that there is a lot of um i don't know if I even belligerence is the right word but anyway we could we would what would amount to an attack on uh the traditional way that we have understood our faith uh and you know the nature of the doctrines that we hold absolutely and and david you nailed it man like Here's the thing. Whenever I first started getting into apologetics, I thought I knew everything and I thought everybody else didn't know anything. And so if I would have started out just asking questions, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're never in the hot seat whenever you're the one asking questions. Right. And so even but but beyond that, we want to build relationships with people that the Matthew twenty eight nineteen doesn't say go evangelize. It says make disciples. And that involves a relationship with people. So I'm with you 100%, David. And if I would have started that, like whenever I first got into Christianity and apologetics and, and all of this, to start out asking questions is definitely the way to go, man. We have to, and, and like you said, not only do you represent the person, you know, fairly, you actually learn what it is they believe that that's my main motto. You guys have heard me say it on CSG all the time. Like I want to know why you believe what you believe. Right. And so that's where we have to start uh, in evangelism. I'm just curious. Do we have Joshua Davidson uh, on yet? Noah? I don't see him in here. I don't see him. Okay. Interesting. All right. So let's, um, well, while we're waiting for Josh to uh, get in here, um, let's transition the conversation. Dane, I want to ask you, we've, we've got a pretty good uh, definition of what postmodernism is. 
Let me ask you, what does postmodernism look like in the church? And I think this is really what started this discussion is the last time that we were on, uh, you were telling us about, you know, how, how the denomination that you are in is really, I mean, I mean, things are getting pretty hectic. Things are getting hectic in the church period, but would you mind going into kind of what's going on for those who maybe didn't hear that last show? And, and cause I really think that's why this conversation is happening right now. Right. I mean, because, because this is affecting the church. This isn't some, you know, thing that we're warning about in the future. No, no, no. This is happening right now. And so Dane, like I said, sorry to ramble there, but, but what do you think postmodern or what do you see postmodernism uh, looking like in the church? Yeah, great question. And, and I really appreciate being able to talk about this um, on a platform like this because it is such an important issue. And as, as David said a moment ago, there are people who want to call themselves Christian and postmodernist. And, you know, all of us here would be in agreement that those, those are contradictory uh, ideas and, and um, yes. worldviews. But there are people who want to try to mash them together. And here's the thing. Uh, in, in, a lot of places there are subtle ways that postmodernism creeps in. And then there are places where it is blatant and, and, um, in our face and it's really destroying, uh, you know, segments of, of the body of Christ. Um, uh, or, or at least, um, you know what I mean by that? Obviously the, the true church prevails, but, uh, but Absolutely. you know what I mean by that? And so I wanted to go over a few places where it's really subtle and, um, and then, maybe go into some of the more blatant stuff as well. Um, one of the places where it's really, really subtle is in Bible studies. And I bet you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, most people listening have probably been in a Bible study like this, where the pastor or the Bible study leader opens up the, the book and, and says something, reads a passage, and then they say, hey, Jill, what does that passage mean to you? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and then Jill will say, oh, you know, it, this is what, how it makes me feel and yada, yada. And then he says, okay, hey, James, what does it mean to you? And then James gives something totally different and then Jill did and, and everybody's nodding in agreement. And they go around the whole circle and all of a sudden it's this is what it means to me, you know, 10 times over. And we should ask a very different question in Bible study. We should say, what does the text mean, period? Not to you, not to Jill, not to James. What does it mean, period? What did the original author intend for us to learn from it? What did it mean in the context it was given? Um, what is the word of God saying to his people? And so that's postmodernism. It is asking uh, what the text means to you personally, you in a subjective way. And um, don't get me wrong, the Bible can apply to our lives uh, in, in, in ways that you know are uniquely personal. But the text has an objective meaning. It, it is what it is. It says what it says. It is God's word for his people. Um, and it's a, it's a timeless word. So uh, that's, that's one way postmodernism creeps in in a really subtle way. And that's happening in strong evangelical churches. I mean, that's happening in places that's not just far left, kooky, mainline denominations. Um, and then another place where it creeps in is this, is in music. And... Uh, you know, David mentioned that art can become postmodern, and uh, and that's absolutely true. And I think that it's actually crept into some church music. You've probably uh, been to a, well, maybe not you all, but many of the listeners maybe have been to a church service where uh, it's a little bit more charismatic in feel, and the music is 
is very transy and repetitive. And, uh, you know, it's, we're calling on fire. We're calling on fire. We're calling on fire. And they're repeating that over and over. And it's, it's whipping up kind of a personal experience. But what doctrine are you actually learning? What are you going to take away from that? That's like genuinely a, a truth about Jesus. And you compare it to music that was being produced in the modern era, say by one of my favorite hymn writers, Charles Wesley. He writes things like, uh, he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I mean, that's very different than some of the music that's being produced today. And um, I think you can see a, a modern to postmodern shift there. Um, and, and that's some of the music that our teenagers are really into and this kind of stuff. So those are subtle ways it creeps into the church. Uh, one more subtle way, and then and then um, we can pause and talk about the subtles uh, if anyone wants to add anything, and then I can go into more blatant stuff later. But one other subtle thing is um, it, is it attacks the doctrine of creation. So God made this world objectively. He made, say, for example, men to be men and women to be women, and he made these beautiful complementary gender roles and, and these kind of things. And the postmodernist um, may want to tinker with that and uh, – and and may want to say, well, um, what do you think God is calling you to do? Or how do you yeah. feel yeah. God is calling you to be? Or how do you, where do you think God, um, you know, wants you to serve? And these kind of things. And, and puts the emphasis on you to decide, you know, what you feel God is calling you to do. Instead of saying, well, what has God created me to do, right? Yes. What yes. has God objectively stamped upon me as as a Christian man or a Christian woman? to do for his kingdom? What does the word say I should be doing? Uh, and so I think that that's another subtle way. It's I call it Disney theology, uh, follow your heart. It's the Disney princess theology, uh, follow your heart, be true to yourself. And that's kind of a, a, a an attack on the, the very doctrine of creation. You know, God made um, objective roles for, for people in his image to perform. Right. So those are those are three subtle ways that it creeps in. Bro, I'm like, so I'm not on camera with any of these guys or anything like that. But if you could see me on camera right now, I would be jumping at the bit because I'm in like absolute everything that Dane, everything that you're saying, bro. Like, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Because you're right. Every, and I want to talk about all three of your subtleties because Bible studies, music, attack on creation. I've heard it every single, every single one of them this week. Okay. This week alone, all Three of those have came to me. And so just some examples. We, I took, uh, well, really, my mom invited me, my wife, and my daughter to go to Noah's Ark in, uh, in Williamstown, Kentucky. And so we got to go see the life-size, you know, replica of Noah's Ark. And if you all, if you haven't been, go to Noah's Ark. This is the, I mean, it's just a blast to see how everything, like, was. I mean, because they nail it. And, and it's just, it's just mind boggling. And I can go on about that forever, but we're talking about postmodernism. So, but they had this exhibit there and you basically, the way it works is you just walk down one side of the boat in, while you're inside and they have it kind of set up like a mall. So you got this here, you know, this attraction here, this, this, this. And so it does that for four floors. Well, anyway, on one of the floors, there was this big, it looked almost like a Build-A-Bear workshop. If you can just kind of picture the outside of a Build-A-Bear workshop, has the funny animals, you know, the cartoon characters, everything's going on. And it says, I, I forget exactly, so I'll paraphrase it, but it says, cute truth, 
is not truth or, or, or something like that. And basically the point that was being made is that there are so many books about quote unquote Noah's Ark that doesn't even get to the point of the story. The point of this story is that or, or, or the the postmodern point, if there is one, it's subjective, right? So it means whatever whatever it can mean to to you and only you. But the point of it all was is that whenever you not even sugarcoat God's word, but completely do away with it to say that God saved the animals and and they everyone lived happily ever after and everyone was just all cozy and warm inside and fun and they slept and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, it misses the point of the flood, right? This is God's judgment. This isn't supposed to be cute. This is serious. This is what God thinks of sin. Uh, he hates it so much that he destroyed the world and saved eight people. I mean, come on. But, 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 I mean, I, like I said, I could go on about this, but, but I just want to touch on music again. And, and Josh, and I, I don't know about you guys, whether you guys play an instrument or not, but I'm a bassist. Josh is a drummer. And so whenever you, whenever you brought up music, Dane, I'm just sitting here like, dude, I'm so resonating with what this guy's saying, right? Because have you ever heard postmodern music? Just out of curiosity, has anybody ever heard Quote, abstract jazz. Anybody? Dane, have you ever heard? You know what I, I'm talking about? I save, I save my ears from that. No, I, I don't think I have, but I can imagine it's pretty terrible. <laughs> Here, so here's the point. So when you are a musician you are and, and you are writing music, you're thinking about notes. You're thinking about structure. You're thinking about the timing of those notes. Where is this going to go in the staff? Where am, what, what time signature am I going to write this in? All of these different things are put in or put on a piece of paper and they make beautiful music. Listen to Bach, listen to Mozart, listen to even, even like jazz. So if you like progressive metal or whatever, uh, the name's escaping me right now, but the, the people who do 14 minute songs, I can't, I don't know why I'm not thinking of them. Um, but anyway, dream theater. So if you, dream theater, like just listen, there's a meaning. The point that I'm getting at is there is meaning in music. And the postmodern view of this and how they construct music, it's not a construction. It's a deconstruction. If you haven't, you'll only listen to it for five seconds, if not less. But YouTube abstract jazz and listen to what this, not, it's nonsense, is. It, it, it just looks and sounds like chicken scratches wrote on paper. It, there's no meaning to it whatsoever. And that's the point. That's the point. Because whenever... You bring this view into the pulpit and behind the pulpit, especially if this is your mindset. I mean, this is what we're, this is what we're talking about. Bible studies. What does the text mean to you? No. What did the author intend the text to mean? What, what was that intention? We can sit here and argue about the text. Dane and I, David and I, we can sit here and argue about what the text means, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're arguing about what it means. What we are uniting together tonight to argue for is that this word does have meaning. It was intentional, and it comes from God. You can't sit there and say that what does this mean to you? No, 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 no. I care about what it means to God because ultimately whenever you boil it down and the rubber meets the road, God is going to be judging you on Judgment Day, not the other way around. Amen. Not the other way around. 
Do you, I, I mean, I could go on and well, do you guys and I'll give you a perfect that, yeah. example. Um, uh, so take a, an issue of, of like communion. And so as Protestants, uh, we don't believe in transubstantiation, but the Catholic church does. So, uh, this, this doctrine of, of the bread and wine truly becoming physically Christ's, you know, body and blood and the Protestant reformers rejected that teaching of transubstantiation. Well, we can wrestle with Catholics and we can say, this is what we think it means. And they can say, this is what we think it means. Mm -hmm. And one of us is right. And one of us is wrong. Mm -hmm. The postmodernist would try to say, well, maybe you're both right. And I look at them with my jaw on the ground and say, that makes no sense. Uh, these are mutually exclusive claims. So, uh, you and I can have a, a Arminian Calvinist disagreement but neither of us is saying, well, both of us are right. We're saying, no, right. the text says something, um, and it has an objective meaning, and we're trying to discern what that is or persuade the other person to our position. The postmodernist stands in the corner and says, well, why doesn't everybody uh, just say we're all right and we're all wrong, and we need to be very unwilling to go in that direction with them? Exactly. We're arguing again. You know, we can argue about what the text means tonight. Don't get it twisted, ladies and gentlemen. We're arguing that the text has meaning. Our opponent is arguing that the text does not, basically, or or objective meaning. The the we're arguing that the text has objective meaning. They're not, and so mm -hmm. that's the difference. Uh, David, what what do you think about what what Dane and I've been saying so far? Well, so I think that uh, one thing to keep clear when we're talking about how the, uh, well, the, the movement of postmodernism has affected the church is to take a look at uh, that they don't really have, like, an emphasis on doctrines, right? So this isn't, um, this, like, doctrine divides is kind of one of the mantras that you'll hear. So uh, it's not like they've got, like, these, they're writing, like, systematic theologies and exegesis of scripture or something that we could interact with, like, like I might be able to do with, like, a, a Calvinist or something or, or sure. a Catholic. Uh, instead, they kind of go to maybe the more practical parts of well, what, what, we, what we would call the more practical parts of Christian faith, and then kind of selectively take the parts of that that are um, kind of compatible with what contemporary culture um, finds. So, uh, you know, love your enemies, judge not lest you be judged, right? Uh, these are the kinds of things that sound good and that you can have in modern society. And so then they'll try to, like, use parts of Christianity to say, oh yeah, postmodernism is not a bad thing. We want to move away from modernism, right? Like we don't like David Hume and Immanuel Kant and like Enlightenment thinkers. We want to get away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, look, we've got stuff even even in the Christian tradition, uh, and so this kind of is going to strike a lot of chords with people, right? Because nowadays, you know, we're not supposed to judge anyone. We're not supposed to um, think that we're better than anyone. Uh, think that we're more right than anyone else, and so. Sure they will take kind of Christian themes and try to, you know, blur that into postmodernism. And kind of, I think the difficulty here that it ignores something that's known as epistemic channeling and epistemic channeling is this idea that some beliefs that we hold are kind of, um, we hold them because of other beliefs. And so ultimately these practical beliefs, right? 
that we hold that we're supposed to love our neighbors and stuff. This is the result of a strong commitment to that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So we've got all these exclusive, absolute claims, and that's the basis upon which we uh, want to be loving towards others. We want to be accepting of others, right? But we're not going to do that at the cost of sacrificing that which gives us the basis for these actions. And so that's when, you know, you've really got to, um, you know, sometimes people try to use, uh, they'll try to use like an upper level belief that you hold and they'll try to use that to attack the foundations, right? And it doesn't work because you can't, you, you can't use that upper level belief as leverage if it's only in place, if the person's only holding it because of the foundation. And our foundation, I mean, it's, it's Christ. And so, uh, that's the that's the key point to reemphasize is that the reason that we are okay with uh, being kind and loving towards others is because of a strong commitment to the truth of uh, Jesus Christ and an exclusive truth at that right. Jesus makes it very clear that it's exclusive. So I think one thing to look out for, uh, kind of in society, is that they're going after the um, the upper level stuff, right? The the actions, and they're not looking at the foundations for why it is that we are even doing those things. And so that you know, people will be confused by that. Would you, would you think it would be fair to say, David, that the foundation of postmodernism for, for our, or let me put it like this for the postmodernist, the, the individual, do you think that that foundation is ultimately themselves? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm not completely sure what that means. Uh, right. So somebody's, so, wasn't me. Do what? Oh, I thought it was you, Dane. <laughs> Wasn't me. Oh, okay. No, so what I so let me so let's put it like this. So for us, like you just said, our foundation is God, right? All of the truth, you know, it truth comes from God. So whenever I say is their foundation, basically what I meant was their foundation of truth. It's subjective, right? It comes from them. They get to determine what is true for them. And what might be true for them might not be true for somebody else. Is that fair to assess? Uh, yeah, I, I, wait, I might want to like and to nuance that a little more carefully because in a certain sense, obviously, everything that we believe is kind of comes back to, to us in a sense that we're choosing to believe it. But uh, yeah, I think that they've got this denial of any kind of objective way at least of determining what reality is, if not a complete denial of truth altogether, then yeah, just all you're left with is kind of your subjective feelings at that point. You don't have a way to get at reality. So, you know, now you can just interpret it however you want. So yes, uh, there's very much a rejection of any kind of hard, fast rules of getting at things. And so, yeah, it's just all about what they feel. Right. And so here's, I'll add, can I add one more thing? Um, Please. The foundation might not be exclusive to one individual um, because I think the subjectivity uh, can actually transcend one individual in postmodern thinking. And what I mean by that is uh, I think that the foundation is less one person and it is more just subjective experience in general. So one postmodernist might hear the lived experience. That's a a term you'll hear a lot. The lived experience Mm -hmm. of one of their friends and they'll adopt that as as part of their own truth because their friend said it was true. 
if and that's a friend they really trust or something. So uh, I think that sometimes they mishmash whatever lived experience they see as genuine, they see as authentic. Um, if it comes across to them as as a uh, as genuine um, lived experience, they might you know kind of mishmash it together with their own. Um, so uh, I think it can transcend the individual, but it always comes back to personal experience on some level. Right. Right. So for the last 10 minutes, I want to kind of transition into, we've talked about what postmodernism is. We've talked about how it's starting to, you know, trickle down into the church, into the faith of believers. And, and, and first of all, if you've got a question about postmodernism, you're wondering, you know, kind of something we maybe haven't touched on. You got a question first, give us a call 1-855-450-6624 is that number to dial. Uh, we got Dane Von Ace and David Pullman on. Did I say that, Dane? Did I say that right? Man, you are nailing my name, and it makes me awesome. very happy. Yeah, awesome, brother. Right. Awesome. All right, man. So, so check this out. So, for the last couple minutes, I want to transition into, and I just want to just ask you both, and we'll start with Dane, and then David, uh, if you want to follow up after him, I just want to ask you both this question. So, what can I, as a Christian, right now, tonight, even, or maybe tomorrow, but what can I do immediately to start combating this ideology? Or if you wouldn't use the word combating, whatever, whatever you, you know, you like, but what, what can I as a Christian do about this ideology? And Dane, we will, uh, we'll start with you, bud. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give a very pious answer to start with, um, because that's the kind of guy I try to be, uh, pray. <laughs> there you go. We got to yes. pray. Um, the church, uh, one of our biggest weaknesses right now is that our prayer life is weak. Um, I, I think that if, if all the people that went to church faithfully on Sundays would spend uh, lots and lots of time in prayer Monday through Saturday, um, we would be seeing mountains moving, you know. So pray for uh, reality to come back to this culture. Pray for sanity to come back to this culture. Pray for a biblical worldview to come back to this culture. Pray that God would have mercy on us uh, and and renew our minds in this culture. So I think that's a, a big piece. Um, we need to know mm-hmm. our scripture. So one of the things that uh, one of my favorite go-tos, because I'm a preacher, so uh, one of my favorite go-tos in, is a sermon um, on Jesus's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And you notice that Satan actually quotes scripture, but Jesus quotes scripture three times. And I like to say, mm. we need to know the Bible three times better than our opponents do. So we need to be, uh, s- just soaked and saturated in, um, verses about the word of God being true, uh, about Jesus himself being the truth, about God never lying, um, and these kind of things. So we need to be prayerful and we need to know our scripture. Now, in conversation with somebody, if you're actually face to face with somebody that is postmodern, I think David nailed it earlier in the discussion, asking a lot of questions um, and and poking gently in ways that hopefully expose to them that their worldview is a bit absurd. And so sometimes when I'm with a postmodernist, I like to say, well, let's see if we can agree on something objectively true. Um, is it objectively true that we need oxygen to survive on this planet? Is it objectively true that you and I are here in this moment having a conversation? And you will find that most people are not so hard line as to go full on skeptic, like maybe I'm a brain in a vat 
attached to the matrix. Most people are not that far gone into postmodernism. And so most people will say, yeah, I can agree that we are objectively here having a conversation. And once you've even gotten them to admit that one thing, you've opened yep. the door up to objective truth, uh, is, is real. Um, so I, I like to just, um, kind of ease people into maybe being able to admit at least one thing is objective because then it gets the snowball rolling. Um, and, and, you know, I think another thing is a lot of these people that are in this system of thought, uh, they think that it's because it's, it's more loving. They think that, uh, exclusive truth claims are harsh and unloving. So they, they think that when I say, um, you either uh, believe in Jesus to be saved or you um, don't believe in him to your own condemnation. They think that comes across as harsh. Now, we all know that that's the most loving message we could bring to somebody because Amen. it's the truth. Amen. But they, they think it comes across as harsh. And so I think you have to start finding ways to make sure they know how much you actually love them and how much you actually care for them so that they'll actually know that you're coming from a place of um, genuine care for their soul. And so that comes back, Tyler, to what you were saying earlier, that we're to make disciples and discipleship requires relationship. And if they, if the postmodernist you're talking to doesn't genuinely think you love them, you're not going to get anywhere with them. They have to really believe uh, and see from you that you care about them um, and that you actually have respect for them. And you're not just there trying to um, beat them over the head with something. Amen, brother. You, you said it. You know, you, you guys are all nailing this tonight because, I mean, this is truth, right? And and you, Dane, you just, ugh, I love it. Love demands truth. Amen. If it might be harsh to let my little girl walk out into the street and I yank her, you know, yank her by the hand and say, no, get over here. It's because I love her. Maybe that's not a perfect analogy, but the point remains it, it, it's love. It's not letting people do what they want. That's called enablement. That's right. And well, you and, don't. And, and, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to quote scripture, First Corinthians thirteen. Please. I think it's verse six, but it's in First Corinthians thirteen. Love rejoices in the truth. Yes. Amen. Amen. David, what? Same question. Uh, that I asked Dane a while ago, like what what can I as a Christian do about postmodernism? And and I think Dane brought up some beautiful points. Pray, read scripture. Is there anything or to know scripture? You know, three times better uh, than your opponent. I love that, Dane. Um, but is there anything that you would add to that? Yeah, Dane. Dane gave a lot of good stuff on the uh, or good pointers on the pious side, and that is uh, of course important. Uh, so maybe some pointers on the practical side. Then uh, I think probably the first and most practical thing a person can do on something like this is make sure you're not part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and this is something that's actually often overlooked is that we can we are like so much more influenced by our culture than we even realize. Mm -hmm. uh, and so actually, you know, turning to scripture and seeing really how radical scripture calls us to be for Christ. Like, I mean, I'm continually amazed at really how radical Jesus is. And he calls me to be in following him. And just like, I, I have ended up places where like, I never honestly like would not have seen myself at years ago. Uh, and I don't mean that like in a bad way, but I just mean like, what Jesus calls us to is so much more, even sometimes, you know, contemporary Christian culture lets on. 
so, you know, see, see Jesus for himself. And of course, you know, that can be accomplished through prayer and such. But, you know, even just um, seeing like, you know, modern opinions, right? If you hold an opinion that a lot of other people hold, Sometimes it's good to just ask yourself why. Um, and that itself, actually, to see if you've got a good reason for believing something. Because, you know, most of us can agree that just because everybody thinks something is not necessarily a good reason to believe something. So first, I'd say make sure you're not part of the problem. Uh, and, you know, I think for the most part, probably most of us as Christians, we're not going to be postmodernists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, if you can kind of establish that, then as it relates to kind of dealing with the postmodernists themselves, uh, you know, you're going to have the ones who are really kind of difficult that are like the hard line ones who want to like say, Oh, well, you don't, you know, th- there really isn't any truth. You can't know sure. anything. Uh, those are like the ones to kind of maybe get them thinking, right. Ask them the questions, show them like, you know, isn't that, you know, aren't, aren't you claiming to know something that's true there? Mm-hmm. You know, get them to think about that. Um, even the one who wants to say he's a brain and a vat, Right. That's mm-hmm. something that you would know, and maybe, you know, then you could even use that as a platform. Put a pebble uh, honestly, in right, <laughs> do what you can. Uh, but honestly, I think that the only way that we're going to really win the battle um, at, like, the philosophical level is that uh, it, it's called postmodernism. It's motivated by the belief that modernism is a failure. And I'm not saying we should like defend everything about modernism, but sure. the objectivity inherent in modernism, right? That methods of like science and uh, history and philosophy that we can actually get at the truth through these methods. Uh, you know, there were a lot of critiques of this, especially like in the 1900s. And, you know, part of that we're still feeling today in the field of philosophy. But like, mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that most of these arguments were not good and they can be answered. And so, you know, maybe you'll have to just do some research if you want to take, if you want to go to that level. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of good books out there, um, you know, by, even by Christians who have, uh, you know, written uh, on this, like uh, Douglas uh, Gruthuis has a book called Truth Decay. That's a good one to read. Uh, it's, a, it's a Christian means of responding to it. Uh, Millard Erickson has one, or he has two on it, one called Postmodernizing the Faith and one called Truth or Consequences. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one's a little more dense, but these are like good places if you just want to kind of study up on it. Honestly, one of the best books I've read on this issue, it's uh, and it's not even written by a Christian, but it's titled Fear of Knowledge by Paul Bogosian. He really, uh, it's, it's a pretty short book, and he does a very good job of, you know, just showing that these arguments that you can't know things, they don't actually work. And so if we take that away from the postmodernist, they really lose the main motivation that they have. Because if modernism is not a failure, is mm-hmm. if we really can get at the truth, then, you know, I think most of us intuitively, then is anything that postmodernism had going for it, it's just gone at that point. And so I think, honestly, that's the way that we're really going to resolve it. And I get that's like for the eggheads like me <laughs> who like to read. Sure, but sure. Um, th- there is a lot of popularized material on it out there. And so I would say, you know, if you really want to go down the root of combating it, that's the way you're going to have to go. I want to read a verse real quick before we get out of here. It says, uh, if he, oh, let's see, Ephesians 4, 
verse 14. So we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will win. We will in all things grow up into Christ. I want to thank David Paulman, Dane Von Ace for joining us on the Complete Sinner's Guide. Tech. Come back next week and we will have another brand new episode for you guys. Don't want to miss it. We'll see you then. See ya.